This is the WTF Bach Podcast. This is the podcast about all things Johann Sebastian Bach. Brought to you by Evan Shinners. WTF Bach. Brought to you by Evan Shinners. Join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey. And now, here's WTF Bach. Hello, this is WTF Bach. You may call me Evan Shinners, as you like it. The goal of this podcast is to get you to hear Bach the way that I hear this music. The whole idea behind this podcast is to help you appreciate this ornate, elaborate music by breaking it down, dissecting it, and putting it back together again. Upon rehearing this music, you will know exactly what to listen for, and you'll come away with renewed appreciation. I believe in doing this because Bach's music, while capable of being appreciated on the surface, only becomes more profound with scrutiny. Bach's music is like outer space. Of course, it's beautiful from any perspective, but with telescopes, it suddenly becomes that much more mind-blowing. And speaking of outer space, when asked what message he, the biologist Lewis Thomas, would send into outer space on the Voyager spacecraft, he responded, I would send the complete works of Johann Sebastian Bach. But that would be boasting. First off, thank you to my listeners for writing me and sharing with me recordings, ideas, suggestions, and finally some requests to analyze specific Bach pieces are coming in, so I will eventually make those episodes for all of these requests, but I just want to mention up front how nice it is to hear feedback from those of you who are tuned in, so thank you very much. Now we're here at the fifth fugue in the Art of Fugue in what has been a progressive series of podcast episodes, meaning if you want to get the gist of where this fugue falls in the overall narrative in the Art of Fugue, or if you find yourself at a loss understanding some of the terms I throw out, try listening from episode one or maybe some previous episodes. However, I do aim to make each episode as palatable as I can for anyone just jumping in. So suffice to say, this man, Bach, has been sort of in search of a unifying musical principle for possibly his entire life, and he's got this theme now. I think all my faithful listeners are hearing this melody in their sleep. So he makes four fugues on it. Two of these fugues use the theme right side up, just like this. And two of them use the theme upside down. And like this. But we have yet to see any really crazy combinations, wild technical juggling of this theme. Bach has sort of started out very slowly, laying the first four fugues very carefully before exploding this theme onto the insane possibilities as he begins to do in this, the fifth fugue. Now, I stumbled across a description of fugue that I like so much, I feel it warrants a little anecdote. It also illustrates quite well what Bach will be doing in this episode. The description comes from Johann Gottfried Walter, who was Bach's cousin, and in 1708, he wrote a little handbook for a young prince in Saxon Weimar. Now, check out this image. Bach's cousin, who was 24 at the time, is employed by a court to be the court composer, court musician, very common stuff. He's in charge of composing for the court, also giving the royalty and whomever music lessons. Now, this royalty at the time includes a 12-year-old prince, and so Johann Gottfried Walter writes a book for this boy, this prince. It reminds me of that wonderful book, A Little History of the World by E.H. Gombrich, which Gombrich wrote when he was 26 as an attempt to explain history to a child. But this book became so beloved because so many adults found that style to be illuminating. And Walter here is doing the same thing with a music book, explaining it to a child. 
And suddenly he found that all his friends wanted a copy of that book. In fact, it became so popular that people went on making copies of it by hand for over 200 years until finally, with the rise of modern Bach scholarship, it was printed as a piece of truly important contemporary Bach-related literature. Well, here's how he, Bach's cousin, describes a fugue to this 12-year-old prince. He says, In a fugue, one voice chases another. I love it. It's simple. It's right to the point. It doesn't bother with any technical terms. You can imagine right away what's going on here. So I'm scrapping all my previous talks about how fugue comes from tempus fugi, time flies, a fugue is something that flees. No, a fugue is one voice chasing another. That is a powerful image. They're involved with each other. And let's say that the chase is particularly rowdy, particularly fast. Well, that's what we would call stretto. One voice hardly has the time to finish what he's saying before the next voice is off chasing him. And that's what stretto is. It means close, tight, narrow, sometimes you hear it translated as squeezed. So if you can imagine all four of these voices spread out horizontally, and let's say you can imagine that every time a voice takes up this theme, this art of fugue theme, you can see it highlighted in a certain color. Well, a stretto is just a squeezing of those colors until they're overlapping. I don't know if that helps give a good visual, but let's try and hear some of it. Our theme in Fugue 4 was this. Now, in Fugue 5, it's going to be slightly fleshed out. Hear the difference. So he's stepping instead of leaping. But before this theme here has the time to finish, has the time to say ba da da dum, we'll hear another voice interrupt it immediately. We'll hear it squeezed, we'll hear it chased. Now Bach is wasting no time here. After patiently exposing this theme in four fugues previous, Bach is now like the mathematician who has just spent a great deal of time explaining if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. But now all of a sudden he's, you know, doing friggin' calculus. In about two seconds, Bach has said, oh, upside down and right side up? Well, I've already done that. You think I would write two fugues on the subject right side up and two fugues on the inversion if all that couldn't happen in the same fugue? Of course it can happen in the same fugue, but it can also be strettoed. Upside down. Right side up. Same fugue, right at the beginning. Now, when looking at a stretto, you have to measure it by the number of beats from the dukes to the comes. Those are the Latin words from the call to the response. So we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12. So let's go through all these entrances in the beginning here and see if they're all 12 beats. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Well, there was no stretto at the end there, but that's because that's the end of the exposition. We've had all four voices exposed. We go through a small episode. And there we have another entrance. It's starting all over again. So the order of the voices in that first exposition here was alto, bass, soprano, and tenor. In the second exposition, it's going to be sort of inside out. So it's going to go soprano, tenor, then bass, then alto. You see, on the first one, he went A, B, S, T. And now on the second one, he's going to go S, T, B, A. But what's more, he's going to actually turn upside down every single entrance in every single voice. So that the alto, which originally came upside down, 
the alto when it comes around the second time is going to come right side up. And now each of the voices in the second exposition are going to still come 12 beats apart from each other as they did in the first exposition. So now here are just the entrances, just the skeleton as it were. I just love that. It's like one voice really chasing after the other voice. And every time the new voice comes in, it comes in in the opposite direction. So you have going down and now going up and now going down and now going up. Now the end of that exposition there, that second exposition, is bar 30. Now this fugue is 90 bars long, so that's right. It's exactly one-third of the composition that Bach has spent spelling out two different expositions in which each voice enters twice and each voice enters inverted and right side up. So let's play the entire composition to bar 30 with just the skeleton, just the theme, so you could hear what's going on, what's making up this composition. our episode. I'm still keeping time and R30 right there. All right, so you're Bach and you're thinking, I've just brought in all four voices on two separate occasions and the second occasion, all the voices came in exactly the opposite direction from the first occasion, and everything came 12 beats after each other. So what else is there to do? Well, let me play it from bar 30, and I had better slow down my tempo here. Maybe some of you heard that soprano theme there. How many of you heard that the bass entered just two beats before the soprano with the same thing? But in inversion, so let's hear those together. I mean, that happened only two beats apart. Let's count it. So in the beginning, we had 12 beats. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. But here we just have two. 1, 2. I mean, that's, that's really close. I mean, the only closer it can get is exactly one beat away. Wow, that's Now you're beginning to think a little bit like Bach because you've just done the outer voices, the bass right side up, and the soprano going upside down. So now... That's right, you have to complete the other two voices and you have to bring them in in sort of the opposite order. So this is bar 41 now. Now that's amazing to think that that music right there
is somehow all generated from this first subject that we heard way back in the first episode. But it is, and somehow Bach has the foresight to see that this little shape can already do these many things, so it can be imitated at 12 beats with inversion, and now here in two quick beats. Alright, well now what else is there to do? I've spoken a lot about the technique of canon, and Bach is going to insert a canon here, because every entrance that has occurred so far has been sort of fugal. They enter on different notes, they enter in different directions. It's a little difficult to make the point that those are canon-like entrances, but here at bar 47, Bach is very explicitly going to write a canon. I'll play all four voices just so you can hear the beauty of this music that exists independently of the canon, or rather around the canon. Amazing that that music contains this most rigid of compositional techniques, because if I were to play just the lower two voices, you would hear this. That is again a stretto, but now they're coming on the same pitch, in the same direction. They're coming at six beats. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, now we're at bar 53, and for those of you who are really good at doing math in your heads, you realize that 53 is only 2.62 measures away from the golden section of a fugue, which is 90 bars long. So yes, something amazing is going to happen in the golden section, but something sort of already equally amazing has already been happening, and I just haven't let you hear it yet. I've only been playing the subjects, I've only been showing you the structure, the entrances, how they come in, just the bones on which this fugue rests, but I haven't shown you anything else. If you were to turn that in, that music, just the structure to your composition teacher, indeed, you might be hailed as a genius, because this is some immensely clever stuff that Bach has come up with here. But that's not the miracle of Bach. The miracle of Bach is the gorgeous music which surrounds such structure. Let's listen to the recording now. I'm going to let you hear a recording made by Thomas Scherchen in 1965, which was shared to me by one of my listeners, so thank you very much for sending along this recording. This recording has got to be among the greatest undertakings which arose because of the misunderstandings of the artifugue. Right, this is a work for harpsichord. It's been proven, but thank God for the misunderstanding. I mean, if it were apparent to everyone from the onset that the artifugue is specifically written for harpsichord, we never would have such amazingly different and wild orchestrated versions such as this one here. I mean, I even wish that the well-tempered clavier were equally as misunderstood. Can you imagine these huge orchestral versions of those preludes? Anyhow, we're going to listen to the fifth contrapuntus now, the fifth fugue from the Art of Fugue by Thomas Scherchen, live recording 1965. Thank you. 
that's bar 53 there. That's where we are so far. Now, I find that just incredible. You can listen to that piece of music not thinking about the structure at all, not realizing anything about what's going on, and it just sounds, it just sounds so gorgeous. Okay, but now I am going to illustrate what's going on just so we can go through it again. So here it is again, and I'll speak over it. Here's the first stretto in the bass. You hear it played with a bassoon there, and a stretto in the soprano. By the flute, and the final stretto, and that middle voice there going upside down. Now our first little teeny episode. And the violins pick up again with the second exposition. Sounds like the oboes have the tenor answering. You see the cellos with the bass line there. Sounds again like an oboe in the alto voice. And that's the end of the second exposition. Everything has been 12 beats apart until this extreme stretto bass soprano. Two beats going in opposite directions. Very small episode. Now here come the tenor and alto by two beats. Tenor, alto. Opposite directions. Opposite from the direction previous. Okay, now this gorgeous episode here. Absolutely gorgeous. And now Sherkin will illustrate the strato there in the bass and then the cello. That's the canon. Let's just hear that canon again. Basses. Tenors, same music, an octave higher. Okay, so what could possibly be so special about the golden section? I mean, we get it. It's, uh, you know, 0.618 of the way through the piece. You've all read your Wikipedia page on the golden ratio. You understand that this number means something. I mean, it's incredible, yes, that someone could have the foresight to write a piece of music that is X number of bars long and have the most incredible thing happening right there at that golden number. But what is Bach doing specifically in this fugue? You remember when I measured out the stretto that was two beats long? One, two. And I said the only closer you could get is one beat. Well, yeah, Bach is going to do it. He's going to do the one beat stretto right there at the golden section. But what is more, he's going to do it in a canon in all four voices. That, I mean, that it's very exciting. Well, what's that? Well, that is the one beat version of this. That first note there gets shortened to one beat. And what's more, it will go on. So it's sort of like the double phrase. You have first one and two. And that is what is going to be made into a canon in every single voice. Okay, so we have at one beat, we have it immediately in the tenor voice. Okay, so you could hear that music is just one beat apart. Okay, the third voice entering is this. It's the same thing, and that will be imitated also at one beat. Okay, now you put that all together and you get this insane phrase here. Yes, that is one molecule of music spread out into four voices according to certain rules and making that glorious polyphony. Now, just before that golden section, we had the canon in the lower voices at six beats. 
And then he went on and did the Canonet 1 beat at the golden section precisely. But you're thinking like Bach now, because you all are, and you realize he left out the canon in the upper two voices, also at six beats. So we have that right coming out of that crazy uh, canon at one beat. So there we had. Now, interesting to note that the top voice here, the soprano, starts on this miserably out of tune E. And it's imitated on the D, but that's sort of because the harmony here would not support this D. If I played it with the D, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't work. But the form is still intact there. The canon at six beats, it's all still imitated exactly at the octave, except for that departure note. Now, I've never seen anything like that in Bach, but he does it twice in this fugue. Toward the end, we'll get another canon, and he will just alter the very starting note in order to keep the form and everything intact. Okay, so now you're thinking like Bach. You're definitely thinking like Bach. You've got your canon at one beat, everything going upside down. You finally did the upper two voices in canon at six beats. Okay, so what else is there to do? Well, yeah, obviously you've got to do the inverted canon at one beat. So everything you just did on this phrase has now got to go upside down and it sounds like this. And at the end of that phrase, this miraculous screaming of the soprano voice comes out at bar 69 in yet another variation of the canon at another length. So we've had one beat, two beats, six beats, 12 beats, and now we're going to have four beats. So here's measure 65, the inverted canon at one beat in all four voices going into measure 69, where we will hear the four beat canon between the soprano and the alto. I kind of screamed it out there to make my point, but the point is this, that at bar 69 you have... Four beats, that's one, two, three, four. Okay, now you're thinking like Bach and you've done the top two voices at four beats going upside down. So now, obviously you gotta do the bottom two voices going right side up. I hate to break it to you folks, but we don't get that. We do have the tenor start in bar 77, but right at four beats, we have the alto coming, not the bass. And we have that strange alteration again of the theme starting on the E rather than the D. Now, what would happen if you put it in the bass, if you put the alto's response in the bass? Well, I mean, I guess it would alter the harmony too much that for Bach it was not really a matter of science, it was aesthetics, of course, so he does this. Yeah, and so far we've had six entrances in every single voice and not one of the orders in which they come has repeated. So we've had alto, bass, soprano, tenor, soprano, tenor, bass, alto, bass, soprano, tenor, alto, bass, tenor, soprano, alto. Okay, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but you know, eventually on the seventh iteration of all four voices, he forgoes that symmetric bass entrance in exchange for the alto entrance. Okay, now you're thinking, what is a stretto 
at no beats. Yeah, and that's what Bach's thinking too. He's done one beat, two beats, four beats, six beats, 12 beats, pretty much every single thing that you could do with the stretto. But now he's going to do it at no beats. And he's going to do it right at the end, the last iteration. He's actually going to draw in an extra alto voice and an extra bass voice so that at this final cadence here of this fifth contrapuntus in the art of you, you have six voices screaming out the theme simultaneously in bass and alto in opposite directions. And that's that's sort of the amazing thing about this this figure here from the Art of Fugue is that it works equally well upside down and right side up. I mean, there's something about the polarity about this half step here and this half step here that when you play them in opposite directions at the same time, it makes this incredible shape. Or this one. I'll just play that last phrase there with the extra alto voice and the extra bass voice going in opposite directions at the same time, the stretto at zero beats. And you can hear all six voices here and how buried actually that structure, that theme is within because you get instead this wonderful music. Count them up, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, that's quite a fugue. That's the first of the stretto fugues. And you can see that there's hardly a moment where there's nothing going on, you know, hardly a moment for an episode. Everything is on top of each other. Everything is really, really squeezed in there. Okay, so let's hear the Scherchen version from the golden section to the end. laughing out loud at the tempo change at the last line there but here it is from the golden section again that's the canon at one beat everything going up now and then the flute there is the canon at four beats imitated by the oboe and the alto there four beat canon okay small little episode here the chromatic climb up to the canon at one beat now an inversion here everything one beat all four voices upside down okay now we'll hear the strings bar 69 there that's the canon at four beats imitated in the alto. Okay, now small time for an episode. We have next coming that final canon at four beats. There it is, in the alto and the tenor instead of the bass. Okay, now we have this 
hilarious tempo change, and the mirror image. quite a version. I'm really glad to have discovered it through my listeners, so thank you for sharing. Now, before I play this electronic version of the same fugue, I want to let everyone know that it is, in fact, the challenge to get everyone to hear what's going on without any visuals, and I enjoy that challenge. But I also enjoy the challenge of taking Instagram and Instagramming the entire Art of Fugue, which I did a few months ago. So if you want to see some visuals, Google the Art of Fugue Instagram, and I should be the only thing that pops up. Hopefully I'm the only person that's done that. You can see I've sort of drawn on the slides and I've tried to illustrate what's going on in the score with some visuals. And I don't know if that helps, if that enhances what's going on, but yeah, that exists, as does my Snapchat arrangement of all the cello suites. No joke. Alto and bass in the left speaker, soprano and tenor in the right. Podcast. We have a brand new podcast and we want to hear from you. Got suggestions? You want a specific piece of Bach analyzed by Evan? Just for you. 
you can write to us. If you want to partner with us, write us at the WTF Box Podcast. Send us a donation on Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal WTF Box. Help keep this podcast alive. Support us. Find the links in the episode description. What a great day to be listening to WTF Box. You should totally tune in to us. Thank you for listening.